Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website. Well, you know, I want to just maybe, we're doing something called Lexio Divina. We talked about this, if you were with me uh, on Sunday. Um, just a real quick review. I don't, I don't want to do the whole section all over again about what is Lexio Divina. But uh, I'd just like to maybe review that, first and foremost, it means divine reading, but uh, basically it is to slowly, meditatively take a text of Scripture, and there are four steps, and we can sort of do them all together here, but some of it really is meant to be done on your own. But the four would be lexio, you know, there's reading, reflecting, responding, and resting would be the four steps in English. In Latin, it's uh, reading, lexio, uh, reflecting, meditatio, meditating on it. What, what does this text mean? You know, you, 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 you start to read the text, and when the Lord says, stop, stop. Say, well, let me ponder more deeply this, this text that I just read. Maybe imagine being there. Uh, we'll do a little bit of that today. Um, um, let, me, uh, you know, let me reflect on this for a few months. Then you might read a few more lines and so on. So there's reading, there's reflecting, uh, meditatio, responding, oratio. We, 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 we pray now out of the text. And then there's resting, contemplatio, uh, to just nourish deeply one's deep relationship with the Lord and just savor and cherish being with the Lord in this moment because someone you love is speaking to you. You know, every word of God, St. Augustine says, verbum dei non nanas qualicumque verbum, said verbum spirans amorem which means that the word of God is not just any old word. It is a word that breathes forth love, breathes forth love. Now, we're going to mainly look at the gospel, but I want to say something um, about the psalm um, and also the, um, the, letter to the, uh, the letter today to the Hebrews speak about the Lord taking a body. Let me read to you from the psalm, and I just want to make a theological point mainly before we do the actual lexio with the gospel. Um, it says here uh, in the... Uh, the psalm, uh, hear my Lord, I come to do your word. It says, sacrifice and oblation you wish not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Holocaust or sin offerings you sought not, then said, be, said I, behold, I come. Now, these words are on the lips of Christ, you see. Some of these psalms, I wouldn't be, dare pray them if it wasn't on the lips of Christ. Like, oh Lord, my my heart is not haughty, no, no I have not gone after things too great. I, You know, boy, I'm sounding boastful. But on the lips of Christ, that 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 psalm works. So, but again, this this is certainly on the lips of Christ. Holocaust and sin offered you sought not. Then said I, behold, I come, I come. So again, we have this, and then it says here later um, in the in the letter to the Hebrews, um, it it sort of glosses on the psalm. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, O God, but a body you have prepared for me. Holocaust and sinner offerings you took no delight. Then, as I said, is written in the scroll of me, behold, I have come to do your will. Now, a couple of things come to mind as we ponder that Christ takes up human nature 
uh, human nature. And why does he do this? He's one person with two natures. Well, I sort of hinted at here a couple of reasons. There's a lot of reasons, but one reason is, first of all, in order to obey. As God, Jesus can't obey. There's only one divine will. <laughs> I mean, you don't obey yourself. So he takes up a human nature uh, with human a, a human will, and he's able now, if you will, to make an act of obedience, you see. So you have that, but also, as God, he can't suffer, see? But with taking on a human nature with a body and also a soul that's capable of suffering, he is now able to, if you will, to offer the sacrifice of suffering. And so this is part of, in terms of the incarnation, there's lots of reasons. You know, the old Cordeus Homo track gives you some other reasons. I won't develop all of them for you now, but clearly, um, taking up a body, as he does today, beginning today in the womb of our Blessed Mother, it's nine months to Christmas, y'all. Only nine months, get your shopping. Oh, that's right, you can't do that now. Um, well, online, you know, uh, okay. Uh, but you see the vision, which is that, um, you know, in order to obey, he has this human will that can obey. And likewise, um, there is this, um, uh, he takes up a body that can now suffer or be the sacrifice. So here's a thought, and I want to then move to the gospel. In the, New, in the Old Testament, the priests always sacrificed something distinct from themselves, right? It was an animal or a cereal offering or a libation, okay, or just even a wave offering, you know, something. But it was something distinct from themselves. Now, but Christ, our high priest, uh, in the, New, the great New Testament priesthood, the victim and the priest are one and the same. Christ offers himself, you see. He offers himself. Now, all of you... Don't, you don't have the ministerial priesthood like Father and I, but you do have the royal priesthood of all believers. And what does a priest do? They offer sacrifice. And yes, you can offer something distinct from yourself, money or something. But, um, but at the end of the day, the, the main sacrifice that you want to always remember is that in the New Testament, the priest and the victim are one and the same. So you offer the gift of your very self to God. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will, see? If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me, see? And if you can speak through Balaam's donkey, Lord, maybe you can even speak through me, you know? So again, all of these are just ways of saying that the, we need to kind of keep these things in mind uh, that our Christ our high priest teaches us on this feast. So just uh, just wanted to spend a couple moments on that. If you have some questions, we'll maybe have some time to get back to it, all right? But let's turn now to the gospel. It's a very familiar gospel. And again, what I would propose we do is kind of like we did with the other gospel on Sunday, which is what well, that was a lot longer, of course. But uh, we need to just read a few lines and then stop. OK, so um, here we are, by the way, if you're looking from your Bibles, it's Luke chapter one and verse 26, as you've been told. All right. Um, now, it says that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, let's stop there. Um, a couple, if, if I were, now this is just what I would do in Lexio. You, you might find a different word stands out to you, but for me, first of all, Nazareth stands out because I've been there. And uh, so that stands out. And, um, you know, the idea of Galilee uh, and the angel Gabriel. But so let's just, let's just talk for a minute about Nazareth. I would, I would ponder, first of all, I've been to Nazareth. And of course, Nazareth today is nothing like at the time of Jesus. I think it's like 60,000 people. It's largely an Arab town, mostly Muslim. Uh, there are some Arab Christians there and some Jews. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a large town, kind of, it's like almost like San Francisco. There's lots of steep hills and things like that. 
But you know, you go to the area where the excavations of of, of ancient Nazareth are found. The, some of the synagogue there, the uh, the house of Joseph, or the workshop of Joseph, and the house of uh, of Mary, and so on. And it's just really magnificent things. But I want you to go with me in your mind, though, to ancient Nazareth. It's probably three hundred people max. Um, it was a town. It didn't. I mean, a little town or village. It didn't have a wall, no city wall, or anything like that. And um, can you imagine? I mean, talk about one place you wouldn't think of going. You know, and, and what does Nathaniel later say? Nazareth. What good can possibly come from Nazareth? You know, and of course the the invitation is come and see. But wow, look at the. You, you, you know, if, if I'm going to be God and come down to this earth, and aren't you glad I am not? Uh, but I would probably ride down on a lightning bolt and come, come down to the biggest city in the world and say, I'm God, fear me, uh, and, and, and be, be seen by tens of thousands and, and be feared by the emperor. And, uh, you know, you think that this is how, you know, I mean, see how different our God is? See the humility? Uh, just ponder how humble our God is. He doesn't just go to a, a backwater called uh, Israel. Which you remember, God Himself says, "Israel, you're not the biggest nation. You're, you know, it's because you you were you weren't the biggest nation that I've chose you." And but not only did he go to a very small little nation under under bondage under the Romans, but he went to Galilee, which, which is a backwater kind of the agricultural region of Israel, and uh, he went to a tiny little town where they spoke with a hick accent. I don't know if you know, but the Galileans had a hick accent, and I don't know if it sounded like that, but you know. Can you imagine Jesus saying, amen, amen, I say to you. <laughs> we shouldn't look down on people because of their accents, but it, you know, I'm just trying to show you how humble our God is. He's so humble. He goes to the smallest little backwater town of the most backwater region of Galilee, and he spends 30 years, man. <laughs> what a waste. I mean, you know, just, it's just, you know, do you think he should be touring the world and, you know, casting out demons and, you know, but he's just humbly working, you know, wow. So, uh, that's, so I ask you in Lexio, the first thing that strikes me is, oh, the humility of our God to go to this little place called Branchtown, Nazareth, to go to this little backwater area to a, a, a very humble little maiden, probably 15, 16 years old, named Mary. And of course, you know, God had prepared her. I, but I mean, I mean nothing, but I mean, just from the externalities, the humility of our God. And so you start to pray, you start to meditate, oh, the humility of God, how different we are from God, you know. And then, wow, I, I, as I meditate, I think, you know, really, Lord, it was through humility that you conquered our pride and Satan's pride. Because you don't conquer pride by be- becoming more prideful. So you don't conquer the 900-pound gorilla of pride by becoming a 950-pound version of pride. That's not how you do it. You conquer pride by humility, just like light. Like, like you don't conquer darkness with darkness. Only light can do that. You, you don't cover. You don't. You know. You don't conquer hatred by hatred. Only love can conquer hatred. And likewise, pride can't conquer pride. Only humility. And so his whole life was one of humility. And then, obviously, the humiliation of being on the cross. You know, he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. And f- frankly, Lord, I, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. So as I start to move from meditatio. To Orazio, Lord, I'm just overwhelmed at your humility and how prideful and stupid I can be, you know, and just, just, you know, getting, I'm all annoyed at being locked up in the house and who do these government people think they are and all this kind of stuff. And I don't have to know what I'm talking about half the time. And maybe this thing is more serious than I think, but I just mouth off and I have my opinions and, oh my gosh, you know, and Lord, I'm just, I'm amazed, you know, 
help me to be a little more humble. And, you know, so you start to pray. You see the vision here, right? Okay. Now, uh, so the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth. All right. Now, Father Hezekiah, can you remind us what do, you, what, do you do, what Gabriel means? Um, I was just reading that. Yeah, I always forget what Gabriel means. I I know what uh, Raphael and I know what Michael means, but yeah, yeah. all right. I didn't mean to stumble. Venerable bead. You know, it's always good to have the church fathers around. Yeah. Yeah. Gabriel means strength of God. All right. Amen. Yeah. Strength of God. So he comes and then um, um, now we'll get back to this in a minute, but you'll see that uh, she, Mary is greatly troubled by this. <laughs> you know, you know, we, we've sentimentalized the angels and some of us have talked about this on these courses before. We tend to sentimentalize them and kind of turn them into fluffy creatures with uh, the prance around. But, you know, anytime there's an appearance of an angel, almost any time in the Bible, unless they're very well disguised, people are like, whoa, and they fall on their faces. They're scared. They're scared because they reflect the glory of God. And Gabriel reflects the strength of God. And yet he comes to Mary um, and makes humble requests of her, you know, and just just again, uh, an astonishing scene. This this magnificent angel. Angels, my brothers and sisters, are awesome, wonderful creatures, intelligent, beautiful, their faces towards God, reflecting the, the glory of God. Um, and so they're not just butlers who step and fetch for us. They are awesome, wonderful creatures that we are. They're higher creatures than we are. Uh, and uh, so all of that's just a way of saying, if you wanted to meditate a little bit on the angel Gabriel and, and just be grateful to, to him and say, maybe, maybe Gabriel, you could, uh, maybe you could help us now, you know, pray to him in this current situation. All right. So the angel Gabriel was sent from a town to a town of Galilee called Nazareth. Now to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, that word virgin is going to become important later. I know that there are some scripture scholars that say, it just means young woman. All right. Yeah, I know. But they forget that the church has theologically reflected on these things for centuries. And um, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to think of it like a first century Jew, um, because that's not what we're supposed to do. We read the scriptures with the church. And the church, having reflected, gives us a theology that she's not just an, an ordinary young maiden. But there seems to be here a, um, and I, I should have printed it out, but in the Proto-Evangelion of James, we find out that she had a vow. All right, now, with that in mind, it's hinted at in this text. But again, that word virgin is going to be important. So there's your rumble strip. <clears throat> Slow down for a minute. To a virgin, betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, a little Bible study here real quick, which sometimes you do a little of that in Lectio, but not too much. All right. Betrothed doesn't mean engaged. It's not the same thing. They were actually legally married. The, uh, so in other words, there's a, um, um, you know, this idea of betrothal. So they're legally married is the point. And most of you know this, but just to review, a, a woman would, the first year that they were married, she stayed in her father's house uh, while, the, while her husband readied the house. And they probably worked out any difficulties with the dowry and made sure they were compatible and you know, a young girl could otherwise maybe be too easily exploited if she just went right out of her father's house and into her husband's house. Because these were very young. They married at a very young age. And so betrothal was meant to both protect the young lady in the first year, work out some of the negotiations, you know, with, with the dowries and things like that. And the families continued to kind of put things in place for this marriage. Because the beautiful thing, even though these marriages were largely arranged, was that families were really involved in, in a marriage. And 
families came together and the couple wasn't expected to do all the stuff, that stuff by themselves. It, you know, families were getting married, not just two people. All right. So uh, she's betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. All right. And the virgin's name was Mary. I need to stop there. You see, Miriam, Mary, Mary. A very common name at the time. Not, there was nothing striking or unusual about it. But how that name has just come down through the centuries. How often is it thrown, Hail Mary? How, how often is it hurled up into the heavens, uh, Mary, Mary? And uh, uh, very often in, um, in exorcisms, uh, it is, uh, there are, um, of course, the name of Jesus, very powerful. The Philippians hymn, very, very powerful. But also uh, uh, Mary, the, you know, any invocation of Mary really annoys the demons. And um, uh, very often at a high point in an exorcism, she comes and sort of does her mama bear. Right? <laughs> right. Now, who was Mary? You know, there's a beautiful book by John Lynch called A Woman Wrapped in Silence. And I think we tend to think of her as mystical and contemplative. Uh, but I think we might do her a little disservice. But you might imagine, what was Mary like? You know, we kind of know how she might have dressed. But uh, what about her personality? What was she like? And if you really look at the portrait of her, and as I meditate on her, she's far from being a shrinking wallflower. Um, she's, she's classy. She asks pointed questions. Uh, she's, on, she's a mama on the move. She was there at that wedding feast, and she saw the problem. She went right to Jesus. She says, there's a problem here. What was I going to do with me? <clears throat> do whatever he tells you, and she steps out of the scene. Uh, you look at the Magnificat. I mean, it's almost a, just a revolution. She's, you know, it, it almost sounds radical. You know, he's cast down the mighty from their thrones. He's lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty. Of course, she's quoting a lot of scriptures, but because she knows her scripture. And, and, and but she's also, you know, putting things together that everything's going to be turned upside down by the Lord. And she's aware that she's classy, a little on the, you know, she, she just and, and she and, and Elizabeth at that scene, they were having some church. That says, go on, sister, go. Ooh, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, you know. And again, I don't want to, I don't, we're all very pious in our thoughts about what Mary must have been like. But when you really look at the biblical portraits we, where she's mentioned, she's not a shrinking wallflower at all. She's, uh, she's incisive, incisive. She knows what needs to be done and she helps to get it done. And she's, um, she's courageous. She accepts this offer. We'll see that more in a moment when there's no promises that she's going to be anything but scorned by her family for being pregnant outside of marriage. But she, she courageously says yes. So you see, this is a woman of strength, of courage. Yes, she reflects on these things and ponders them in her heart. So she's, she's mystically reflective, but she is also very engaged, very engaged in the world around her. And so, again, this would might be then something you would do with Lexo. You just say, a woman, and the woman's name was Mary. Oh, Mary. What was she like? And you start to pray. And then you begin uh, again with the, you move from, from you know, for your, from reading now to that, you know, you're, you're, you're meditating. And then you start to, you start to pray. Mother Mary, help me to know I, I need your strength. And we've, we've, we've heard from you so often in the modern age about our sinfulness and our need to go to Jesus. I'm listening, Mary. You're my mother. You're a strong mother. And by the way, you know, the, the apparition is kind of complete that picture of a, of a mom who's not messing around. She's not just here to dote on us and pat us on the head. She says, you got to repent. She says, kids, I want to show you something. She shows them hell. She says, you see, you see, this is, this is bad stuff. You got to, you know, you got to, you got to, people have to pray. They got to pray the rosary or souls will be lost. 
You know, so she's again, she's a strong woman. She's directive, but she's she's a she's a more mother than queen. Okay, she's our mother. Okay, the word virgin's name was Mary. Now coming to her, he said, "Isn't that interesting? The ga- the angel Gabriel was sent from God, and it's it's almost as though he comes into the room, and then it's almost as though he comes closer to her. The, the text seems to imply that it could just be the continuation of that sentence: the angel Gabriel was sent from God and coming to her." But there's almost a sense that the angel's in the room, and then Mary looks up and notices, and he he moves closer. I'm just guessing, but that's what that's the good thing about Lexio. You can kind of frame it up in your mind and meditate and say, "What was it like? You know, what was it like?" And um, on my own blog today, I did a, a, a painting by Tissot uh, that shows uh, that shows Mary. Um, She's not kneeling at a predu in a, in a, with a medieval castle in the background, you know, as you often see. And that's why it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But she's just a humble uh, young lady um, sitting on her bed and there's this shaft of light and she's kind of like looking, you know, and he, he, her, bare, her bare foot's even hanging out from under the covers. So it's a, it's a painting by Tissot. And um, uh, and you can find it on my blog today. If you go there, you'll see it there. But uh, it, it was probably a very humble setting like that. There, the, the house at Nazareth that we think is Mary's is built into a cave. And that was very common at the time where they would, the front part of the house would be out toward a street, but then they would sort of put the kind of build into the, 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 uh, the hillside behind and kind of like in a cave. And that was good because in the hot weather, it was cooler back there and uh, there was natural protection and so on. So uh, I don't think that it was a terrible thing. It was just that's kind of the way they built. And so it was probably a very humble setting where this took place. And coming to her, uh, he, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, how often we say that in the Hail Mary, right? Now, without getting into Bible study here too much, but just we should do a little bit of this. You know, the Greek is shaira kekaratomene, hmm? uh, meaning, you know, it, it, the best translation really is full of grace, you know. And it's a very interesting thing, you know, if you parse it, it's a, it's a, it's a, a perfect passive participle. In other words, it's perfect in that something was has been true in her life and is true up to and including this moment. It's passive in that she didn't do it; it was done for her, right? And it's the fact that it's a participle indicates an ongoing action into the future. So it's a beautiful word that is uh, used here. Um, it's kind of a compound word. To describe a woman who has always been filled with grace and up to and including this moment as a gift received from God and going forward into the future. So this word is a magnificent word, kikartomeni or kikartomeni. People argue about the accent sometimes in Greek words. Is it epiclesis or epiclesis? <laughs> but kikartomeni, you know, it's, it's, I would even, you know, I, I, it just rolls off the tongue so beautifully. Kikartomeni, hmm? Okay, I'm putting an Italian accent in the Greek word, but anyway, there you go. Um, anyway, so the, um, uh, the, the you know, so you're full of grace. Now, this is a beautiful thing. What does it mean to be full of grace? You see, the great, what is grace? It's the love of God, the life of God. It's, it's, and if she's filled with it, there's no room for sin. You see, the angel is telling us that she's without sin. See, and so seems like, well, where's that in the Bible? You know, it's right here, <laughs> right? It's right here. Mary's full of grace. She's not sort of full of grace, a little room in there for sin. She, no, there's no room in there for sin. She's full of grace. So, again, you see the vision here, right? Um, the Lord is with you. See? 
The Lord is with you. Um, this again, the Lord be, you know, there's this, um, do not, you know, there, she, she, she's probably, you know, being, uh, she's probably anxious as we see in a moment here. So he's reassuring her, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So again, this is um, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. See, the Lord is with thee. So now it says she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. So stop right there, you know, and now you want to do some, you've done your Lexio. Look at that line though. See, she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Notice it doesn't mean she was so terrified. She was like, oh, she's pondering. She's thinking, she's wondering. So this isn't a terrified, this is a reverent silence before a scene that maybe is, 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 is troubling. And yet it's not so troubling that she doesn't ponder what this sort of greeting could mean, right? He, he says, I'm full of grace. What, what, what is this? Uh, and that the Lord is with me. You know, and she starts to ponder and pray and think. See, Mary is first and foremost a woman of great prayer. She ponders these things and reflects on them in her heart, right? Now, you see, here's the problem for most of us. We just rush to think about, well, here's what I think. We rush to do things, you know. So we get information, and we're halfway through getting the information. Oh, here's what I think. And instead, like Mary, to say, well, let me get the data. <laughs> and then if I'm troubled or I'm overjoyed, whatever it is, but let me, let me ponder what this might mean, see, to live a reflective life, you see. The, all the philosophers said that to live an unreflective life, it's not, it's not worth living. But the, the unreflective life is, un, is not worth living, see. But you see, so many people just rush through stuff. We are all in a big hurry to get somewhere, we don't have any idea where we're going, but we're sure in a big hurry to get there. And so living unreflective lives, just chasing butterflies, just following the priority, the urgent, nothing about the priority, the important. So what do we want to do here? Lord, I see Mary as a woman of prayer. So I've moved now from Lexio to a little bit of meditatio. What is this? She was troubled, but she pondered. So often when I'm troubled, I just say, oh, my gosh, and I panic or I, 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 I draw catastrophizing you know, conclusions and say, wait a minute, the Lord is still with me. What's going on? You know, I'll tell you, when this whole thing has started, it's rocked me back on my heels. I'm not in control. And I was really I spent a few days really anxious and I'm starting to settle in now. But it's taken me a little time to get my ground. But part of that is I went to the chapel and said, Lord, help me. I mean, i got to remember, I've never been in control, and I just realized more today, I'm not in control. But you see how we can be, if we're not careful, we just react emotionally to everything. We just go right to work, and we're duking it out, and we're, or we're anxious, or we're angry, or, and we, we don't even take time to ponder, you know? Somebody says something that, about me that makes me feel diminished, and oh, who do you think they are, you know? Well, instead of saying, well, it's probably half true, if not all, all the way true, <laughs> I probably could use a little bit of a comeuppance and... I'm not all that, you know, but that's, that takes pondering, reflective. Okay. Are you praying with me now? So the Lexio says she was troubled, but she ponders. So I, I meditate a little bit what that means. And now I start praying, Lord, help me to be more reflective than reflexive and reactive. Help me to be more reflective than reactive and reflexive. Uh, help me to ponder, to pray more, to be a little more slow to respond and a little more quick to pray and ponder before just mouth off or say, well, here's what I think. And so help me, Lord, help me. And then you might kind of settle into this uh, before bed and just stop here and just just go to bed. See, as I go to bed now, Lord, I just want to just me- ponder I, to be more reflective. What does it even mean to go to bed? See, well, I'm tired. 
or do or say to sort to do it prayerfully and say, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. It's a dress rehearsal for death. See? So living a reflective life, you see, and sort of contemplating and taking that with you into the night hour here. And as you begin to move into the night hour and, and get ready for bed, you could contemplate and just let this sort of sink into your heart. Okay? Now, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. All right. I'm gonna I can't do every one of these lines, but let's keep moving because I want to get to another point here. Behold. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So now, it goes on to say, notice the way the angel Gabriel, he doesn't exactly ask her a question, does he? At least, I've had some Protestants point this out to me. You know, you all say how Mary said yes. She didn't say yes. The angel says, this is happening, whether you like it or not. See, but that doesn't respect the text because Mary later on, does give her consent, doesn't she? She says, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me, as you say. So however these words may come across to us, Mary does see this as a request, and she treats it that way. Yes, the sovereign God could just say, this is happening. But she interprets it not as simply a fiat that God is doing, but that a fiat that she can make and is expected to make, but she, she does make it. So she sees it and treats it as a kind of a request, all right? So uh, do you follow me there, right? So you see, here's the danger that when you, you just read one little line, behold, you will conceive and bear a son and you're gonna name him Jesus and so on. This is just happening, Mary. And that's not, that's not if you look at the whole context, that's not what's happening. And that's why, again, as you ponder this, you'll, you'll, you'll see here how Mary is experiencing and treating this. Now, let's go to this next, because there is this question. Um, Mary said to the angel, you know, she's been told she'll conceive and bear a son. How can this be since I have no relations with a man? Now, again, um, much has been, ink has been spilled on this. When I was uh, in seminary, uh, well, just say my teachers were not particularly um, spiritual. Um, they said, all this is here for is that this question is for our sake. Um, Mary, Mary knows the facts of life and she's not thinking about all this. And uh, she only asked the question for our sake. How do they know? So that we can find out that she's going to conceive this child by God, not by Joseph. It's only said for our sake. Well, first of all, um, I, I, but that, again, that doesn't really respect the text. Mary is asking an authentic question. How can this be since I have no relations with a man? Now, again, the Greek text here and so on indicates that she has an expectation that even though she's betrothed to be married, that she has some we, we, a vow of virginity of some sort. I'll, I'll, I'll say why that. I'll give some more background for this in a minute. But there's something going on there. She's not dumb and doesn't know the facts of life. Hey, duh! You'll be with your husband Joseph, and you know how things go, and you'll be conceiving bare son. But she she doesn't just use a naturalistic explanation that way because she already knows that's not that wasn't really in my future. Um, I'm puzzled. I made a vow to God of some sort. And now I'm being asked to bear a son, and it doesn't. I'm trying to figure out how all this fits together, okay? And, of course, the angel explains why. Now, this question, though, if you were to go to an ancient document called the Proto-Evangelion of James, and, and he, he points out in there, now help me out if I get a detail wrong, Father, because uh, I wanted to have a copy in front of me, but uh, correct me if I get But basically, the, um, Mary was in the temple service, and it came time for her to, to leave that, but she had a vow of virginity. And so the high priest was, was wondering, well, how could, who will care for Mary um, outside the temple now? 
that her service is at an end. Um, and so but he was told that God will give a sign. So Joseph showed up and his staff blossomed like the lily. And that's, that was a sign. And so Joseph happened to be an older man, a widower, who was looking for a woman to help raise his children. Um, uh, and uh, Mary was someone who needed a, a, a man in her life to take care of her. Uh, and it was a perfect, it was a match made in heaven. If you pardon the expression. And uh, and so there was there was an understanding that she would continue to live her vow of virginity and that these brothers of Jesus who were actually were actually stepbrothers uh, of Joseph by uh, uh, by another marriage. His first wife had died. Now, again, that's not the Bible. A Protestant might not be all that impressed, but we know from our tradition that that's one of the explanations that the church fathers use for these so-called brothers of Jesus. Now, the other one is it just means cousin and so on. Uh, the, the, so the fathers have two different traditions, but the Proto-Evangelion James is written pretty early, and it's, it's pretty authentic, and uh, there's a lot of st- good information in there uh, that helps us to understand the nature of Mary's question here, right? So we're sort of in Bible study mode here, I understand, but I just want to, I want you to, though, in Lectio, what we want to do here now is that she says, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? Let's just stop and ponder. There's a mystery and a hiddenness to Mary's life. There's a concern here, and some of it's none of our business, right? But at the end of the day, there's something deeply mysterious about her life. She's made a vow. It's not all spelled out in this text. She's concerned, though, how this would match what she's being asked to do. And in a very respectful way, well, that's just a dumb idea. I mean, who do you think you are? She says, you know, how can this be? Since I have no relation with the man. She said, you know, well, you know, and again, that I have no relations with a man, I, 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 I think the Greek indicates there again, sort of an ongoing action, right, that, that will, will proceed into the future. I'd, I'd have to analyze the Greek text, but it's interesting, he, even here in the English, it's, it's an awkward way of speaking, since I have no relations with a man. You know, I have, we would say, we would expect her to say in English, I, since I have, uh, since, uh, since I won't be having relations, or I haven't had relations, but I have no relation. Have is 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 in this in this uh, perfect. It's in the perfect tense. You see, is which indicates something that's been true up to now and is is perfectly present now. And the implication is that it's going to go forth into the future. Okay. So anyway, so it's an awkward way of speaking, even in the English. You wouldn't say you wouldn't form the sentence that way normally. So there's a mystery here. So we've we've lectioed, we've read, we've done a little bit of reflecting or meditating and trying to analyze the text a little bit. And now we we begin to 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 pray. We say there's a deep mystery in Mary's life here and in her heart. And um I, I'm not privy to all of it, but thank you, Lord, for her 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 deep regard for a vow she'd made. And uh thank you, Lord, for her still saying yes. And even though she's troubled, she's pondering, she's a praying woman, she's open to God can do anything including have her have a child and still be ever virgin. Uh, Lord, she's just trusting at this moment. She doesn't have it all figured out, but she, she's trusting and she's asking important questions that point to a mystery of her life and in her heart. And I'm grateful, Lord, grateful. Okay. So now we come to the next section. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, again, the, the, the English here is a little bit flat. Uh, the, the word here sort of overshadow you. This is beautiful word where like for example the glory cloud the Shekinah cloud would over overshadow the the temple 
uh, indicating the presence of God. You see, so there's this beautiful word uh, that the, the Holy Spirit will will uh, oh, it does say here uh, will come upon you, and and the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so, just think of this beautiful aura of holiness. Uh, think of incense and how it overshadows, but or think of that glory cloud, the the the, the pillar of cloud that led them and then came to rest over the temple. And people said, God is going to dwell among us in the cloud and in the, in, you know, in, in, in the thick cloud. And so there's a mystery, a beauty, a magnificence, an overshadowing that takes place uh, for Mary. And this, this glory that surrounds her, this, this aura, this glory which surrounds her. Um, so you, we, we've read now and we've reflected a bit and we thought about the glory cloud of God and we thought about the pillar of cloud and how the cloud came over the temple and the people said, ah, the Lord will live in the cloud in our presence and indicating his presence. And now this, the same glory cloud overshadows her and she's surrounded by the radiance of God's power, of God's mercy, of God's love, the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And so we pray and we meditate and we contemplate on the scene. Amen. Well, we're moving along here. We're getting close to the end, but it says here, um, therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of God. Now remember uh, this word holy. So let's stop for a minute. Um, This child to be born shall be called holy, the son of God. Now, holy doesn't just mean like really special, like uh, he's done more spiritual push-ups and he's like, he's got his halo on straight. You know, we sometimes think of holy simply as, you know, sort of like, you know, really sinless or something. And it is that, but there's more to it. Literally, the word holy in Hebrew means you pick something up and you move it over here. You take it from the ordinary and you put it over here because it's extraordinary. It's like your good china. You pick it up and you bring it over here and you store it for special occasions. So it's holy or sacred in that sense. So to be sacred or holy means to be set apart, not like the rest, not ordinary, extraordinary. So to say that he's holy doesn't just mean he's like really sinless. He is, but he's other. He's unique. There's no one like him. He is, he is other, um, unique, set apart, different from the rest. Although he shares our humanity, it's a sinless humanity. And, and he's not just human. He's God. He's the Lord. And he's the one who's going to be in your womb now for nine months. He's the one you're going to be carried. He's holy, different, set apart, different than the rest. Okay. Uh, holy and he'll be, and, 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 and the son of God, see? He's God's, God is his father, um, not Joseph. You know, he's a foster father, yes, but God is his father. You're his mother. Whoa, you know, think of that, right? Meditate, you know, on that. He has a human mother and God for his father. Ah, oh, you see, talk about unique, set apart and special, the son of God, the very son of God. So the, Mary is now conceived, conceiving in her womb overshadowed by the glorious splendor of the Holy Spirit, overshadowed and surrounded by the aura of God. And she conceives one who is holy, completely set apart, different, sinless, yes, but other with a capital O-T-H-E-R, right? And he's the very son of God. And she's now just beneath her heart, carrying the second person of the Blessed Trinity, uh, and also his, his now his newly forming human nature, right? So be still, see? Shh, silent before such mysteries, right? 
but I'm a, I'm a moon around. Okay. But okay. So we're praying, we're contemplating right now. We got to move on and say maybe the next text, which is, um, um, your behold, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible for God. There's something beautifully consoling here. You see the angel gives Mary a kind of a signal grace. He signals to her, uh, this will be some, this will console you to know this and to help you to understand that, that what, what just happened for you here is for real. <laughs> for nothing shall be impossible for God. So go see your cousin Elizabeth now and um, um, you'll be strengthened. You'll be encouraged uh, to, to this. It's what you sometimes kind of call a signal grace where God sort of shows you it will be all right. It will be all right. So Mary said, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Now, I want to pull up something on my blog. Cardinal Ratzinger, when he was, he wrote it when he was Pope Benedict, but he wrote it under the name Joseph Ratzinger. Um, he wanted to be clear that he wasn't writing a papal document. It was just his own, his own reflections. And I want to read to you something he said about this line, but the angel departed from her. Because it, I think it gives you a sense of... Um, Here's what Pope Benedict wrote in Jesus of Nazareth. I considered important to focus on the final sentence of Luke's Annunciation narrative, writes Benedict, and the angel of the Lord departed from her. The great hour of Mary's encounter with God's messenger in which her whole life is changed comes to an end, and she remains there alone with a task that truly surpasses all human capacity. Not right, you know, there, are, you know, there are no angels standing around her. She must continue along the path that leads to many dark moments from Joseph's dismay to her pregnancy to the moment when Jesus is said to be out of his mind, right up to the night of the cross. How often in these situations must Mary have returned inwardly to the hour when God's angel had spoken to her, pondering afresh the greeting, rejoice, full of grace. And the consoling words, do not be afraid. The angel departs her, the, the angel departs, her mission remains, and with it, matures her inner closeness to God, a closeness that in her heart she is able to see and touch, uh, the, you know, the very, very Jesus himself. Okay, so, yes, this is from Jesus of Nazareth, the infancy narrative, that particular volume. And it's a, just a beautiful meditation. It reminds us again of her courage. You know, he didn't say all these things will happen and have it all figured out and there'll be a complete roadmap and she just got everything all figured out. It's not that simple. Now, it is true, I think, when, when Pope Benedict says the, um, the angel departs there and there are no angels standing around her and so on. Actually, there are. <laughs> there are always angels. But, but, you know, from that human perspective, you see. They're, they're, and so I, I, I've always been amazed at her courage to say yes. And also Joseph's courage. Because, you know, people just didn't do this in the ancient world. You just didn't marry a, quote, a woman like that who somehow got pregnant outside, you know, your marriage. You just... You don't bring a woman like that into our family. I would imagine Joseph might have even been disowned by his family. There could have been all kinds of implications thrown out of the synagogue. Any number of things could have happened to them. Now, none of this is reported because they, you know, they had to flee to Egypt and all this. At the end of the day, um, there were a lot of possible implications for them that were very, very negative. And gosh, you know, all the other stuff they went through, you know, the census called at the worst possible moment. Then they have to flee to Egypt. I mean... And then they, they're told to come back and, you know, just one thing after another. And um, her courage, this is Mulier Fortis, huh? a strong, brave woman. And um, so, again, we, we think of her as being tender. We think of her being delicate and so on. But 
She was a vigorous woman too. However you conceive of her physically, these were probably hardier people than we imagine. <laughs> they had to climb mountains and these were, have you ever been to the Holy Land? It's very mountainous. It's not just hilly. It's real Appalachian-like mountains there. And um, Nazareth and all these places going up and down hills, carrying water jars and things like this. These were hardy people. Uh, so I want to just, you know, we, as we meditate on this, 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 this gospel, we'll have to wrap it up now. But I tried to give you, I, maybe I did a little bit too much Bible study stuff, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hazard. <laughs> it's what I do. But, you know, to be maybe a little less academic, if you can, you might think, I really got to go look this up. I got to figure this out. But the general thing isn't to become too academic, but to try to just stay close to the text in a very prayerful way and let God sort of speak to you. What is this word? What maybe did it mean then? But what does it mean now? And so we, we read a little bit. We, uh, we, we, we reflect, okay, or meditate. We pray. And then maybe not right away, but we maybe just spend some time silently just in contemplation on the text. And you don't have to get through a text like we did today. Um, you can just read a couple lines and say, hey, that's all I need to do for today. The Lord has spoken and he told me to stop there and pay, really pray on it. And I have. And I don't, you don't always have to complete the pericope for the passage. You can um, sometimes that's because that's all for today. <laughs> But you you feel like God set the set the table for that. So we've we've gone through this um, not perfectly because um, uh, this is something that we do privately that we're trying to do together as a group. Um, but we we can just take this text very slowly and meditatively as individuals too. All right. So well, thank you, Monsignor. You know, I I really appreciate you spending this time with us. And it's exactly what we're hoping for, and that is to be able to kind of walk with the master. If you Monsignor, we, we appreciate you being with us, and maybe we can uh, we can conclude in prayer if you, you'll, you'll pray with us. Well, Lord, I think right now um, we're going to kind of need a miracle if we're going to get back to work anytime soon. <laughs> or maybe uh, we'll find some ways we can ease back. But, Lord, in the meantime, help us to uh, use this time productively and um, take care of those who uh, maybe are financially going to be struggling more quickly than others. Um, help them, Lord. Help those who are suffering with the virus. Uh, I think of, uh, particularly of Dan Burke, a friend from National Catholic uh, Re uh, Register, um, who had such serious lung problems all his life, and now he has the virus. And But there's so many others like him, too, and um, throughout the world. And for them, we, we ask your mercy and your grace um, for their recovery or bring them swiftly home to you, whichever be your will. But uh, please, Lord, uh, don't, don't let the suffering be too overwhelming. And... Um, Lord, we just ask again for all of us that we'll be patient with one another and go through this time of difficulty, and we lift up our leaders. And now, please, Lord, a blessing upon all who have um, participated today. Oxe benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti, Descenda super vos et maniat semper. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us. <laughs>